Pastor Xavier Reese with an important reminder about the power of God. The question of Yahweh to Abraham is a rhetorical question and it's a crucial one. Listen to it. Is anything too hard for the Lord Yahweh? The idea is of anything being beyond Yahweh's ability and power to perform. The only hope for my life is that I keep my eyes on the Lord and always fit Him into the equation. And that I be open not to tell Him how to work, but to be open to see how He will work. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Airline companies revel in making claims that their flights are 95% on time. Now, that's not bad, but it's also not perfect. And if you happen to be on one of the flights that fall into the 5% category, well, you're out of luck. Well, Pastor Xavier takes this opportunity to remind us that God is always 100% on time with His promises, and He never loses your luggage. Here he is with the text for today's study. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1 through 15. The message is entitled, Isaac's Birth on Schedule. Notice the personal visit of God to Abraham in these first three verses. The Lord appeared to Abraham Yahweh. The declaration that Yahweh appeared is for the reader's information here. Abraham doesn't know this. Notice the location of the appearance to Abram, or Abraham at this point, is by the terebinth tree of Mamre. The first time it is mentioned is when Abraham moved to Hebron after he separated from Lot and God promised the land and that he would multiply his descendants as the dust of the earth in Genesis 13, 18. The man of faith is residing in the exact same place, still waiting for the promise of God. He was abiding in the promised land. He was waiting for God's fulfillment of promise, possibly maybe meditating even on that very promise as we see in Scripture often that happened and God is ministering. And maybe dozing off, all of a sudden, his eyes opened up from that doze, and all of a sudden, the method of the greeting is given to us in verse 2. He lifted up his eyes, he looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. The suddenness of their appearing perhaps gave Abraham a suspicion of a special visitors here, maybe even divine. But he's, he doesn't know this information in verse 1 is for you and I as we read it. Now, Abraham also addressed the three men with great respect. The phrase that came from his mouth was, My Lord. The word is Adonai, and it's used for God in the Old Testament, equivalent to the New Testament, Kurios, Master. The word is also used for man in a respect such as the word Sir. The phrase is in the singular, addressing the one of the three. So he's the more prominent one but he's still conscious of all three present. Now notice the privilege of offering hospitality was then expressed by Abraham. Uh, he makes himself out to be blessed to have them. If I have now found favor in your sight. It was a privilege for him. Abraham implored them to uh, accept his hospitality. Listen to his words. Do not pass on by your servant. And the word servant, there is a word for a slave servant. He's the father of all nations to be. He's the father of faith. And he has not lost the attitude of who he is. He's a servant. Abraham, to this point, did not appear to know 
that it was Yahweh. He merely addresses the prominent one as my Lord in a former respect, and Abraham also is including the other two visitors. And so the revelation, as we'll see, is progressive. In verse 4 through 5, the particulars of common hospitality are mentioned. Abram says, please let a little water uh, be brought and wash your feet. Uh, the individuals, you know, would travel in, in, in those areas. It would be dirt, the roads, and they would go across fields and rivers and whatever. And you would get mud and dust and brush and everything else that you would step on. Uh, they didn't wear combat boots. They had sandals, open toe. So your feet would look pretty grungy. Now, the responsibility usually fell to the lowest of slaves. But if the master had no slave, then he would do it. Now, we're not told here, but I have an idea, and it's my personal opinion, that probably Abraham did this chore. He washed their feet. Abraham also said in verse 4 there, and rest yourself under the tree. Now, Abraham also then said, and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. Abraham himself acts as a servant. I will bring, indicative of the fellowship that's going on between the three and Abraham. And so Abram says, after that you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They would continue on their journey being revitalized, but notice, since they had chosen the tent of Abraham to visit, he's being pushed to ponder, who are these guys? And they accept and they said, do as you have said. Now, when you get to verse 6 through 8, you have the preparation of the common meal that's recorded for us. Abraham first went to Sarah. He just runs in there. He hurries into the tent. Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. He ran to the herd. He took a tender and good calf. The person who's choosing the calf reveals again the importance of the visitors. Now notice in verse 8, Abraham serves his visitors then. The entire table was set by Abraham for his guests. He is the servant here. Notice lastly, the personal revelation of the birth of Isaac to Abraham. The angels initiated the conversation, by the way. They said to Abram, where is Sarah, your wife? The custom of those days was that wives were not present when male visitors came. And it's like that in many places in the Middle East today. This was the final evidence that indicated to Abraham that they were divine visitors. For no ordinary stranger would ever ask about another woman's wife where she was, <laughs> especially in that culture. It would be offensive and a threat. Secondly, no stranger would have known the new name of Sarai, Sarah, only given a month or two. Interesting. At this point, I think Abraham's eyeballs just bulged. Abraham responds, he, he, here in the tent. <laughs> and so the Lord, Yahweh, indicated the fulfillment of his promise by speaking directly to Abraham. Yahweh reiterates his promise to give him a son. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. In nine months, 
Sarah would bear a son in fulfillment of the promise that he gave back in Genesis 12, 3, 15, 4, 17, 21, to mention a few. There was no doubt in the mind of Abraham that this was Yahweh at this point. It was very progressive, as often it is with you and I. Sometimes we may know, but that's not usually always the case. Yahweh specifies that Sarah would be the mother. Listen, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. They were not to think that the promise would be fulfilled through Ishmael by Hagar. The promise was always directed to Abraham, by the way. They would not be waiting any 13 more years, but in fact, about 12 months. It's only in this chapter that God directs it to Sarah after, but it's always directly to Abraham, the promise. Notice the commentary regarding the physical location that Sarah has provided for us. Sarah was listening to the tent door, uh, which was behind him. So there's only a, tent, a, a curtain separating them, and she's listening to all this. And the explanation of the natural impossibility of both Abram and Sarah is emphasized purposely. Notice. Now, Abram and Sarah were old, well advanced in years. In fact, the commentary in Romans chapter 4, verse 19 says this. And not being weak in faith, he, Abraham, not Sarah, did not consider his own body already dead since he was 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Her womb was deader than a doornail. Perhaps here, indicating that Abraham was impotent at this point. He says, considering his body already dead, all hope is given up. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. She was not only barren all her life, but now she had passed menopause. Yahweh waited until every hope no matter how minute, was completely an impossibility so that they would no longer be resourceful. How often God has to do that to us when we are so self-sufficient. He has to wait till we hit the bottom and we're looking up and he says, all right, let's work now. The rebuke of Sarah by the Lord Yahweh was very convicting. It's given to us in verse 12 through 15. The response of Sarah at the promise of Yahweh to Abraham was of unbelief. Mark it well. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. She was careful to not be heard by anyone. It wasn't audible, in other words. Abraham, remember, laughed in chapter 17, 17, in amazement that God would give him a son. So God said, we'll call his name Isaac, laughter. So when you see him, you'll laugh and everybody else too. But it was in positive faith. Sarah says, after I have grown old, shall have pleasure, my Lord being old also? She sneered at the thought that she being worn out, literally, in the Hebrew, a decrepit old woman, she might enjoy not only the physical pleasure of her husband, let alone have a child. Sarah's completely in unbelief. The commentary of Romans is that Abraham did not consider that an impossibility. Not Sarah. Very, very clear. Now, some think that Abraham had not told Sarah about the promise, and that's why she's an unbelief, the promise he gave in chapter 17. But I find that hard to believe. 
seen that he changed both of their names in chapter 17. I find that hard to believe. I think she knew all along. I think she just got so, uh, so frustrated, so given up that, you know, waiting these 13 years, and I mean, she's gone through menopause, you know, her husband is impotent, you know, that's it, forget it. I don't know how he's going to, maybe he's not going to do it. Does that sound familiar? Hmm. That rite of circumcision was a chilling reminder of not trusting in your own flesh. Cut it away. It'll only get you in trouble. The response of Yahweh to Sarah's words made her accountable to her words. Remember that. Ecclesiastes says, God's in heaven, you're on earth, so choose your words well and careful. Yahweh asked Abraham about Sarah's laugh. Why did Sarah laugh? Her laugh was of unbelief. Sarah at this point must have been freaking out because she knew that she had laughed in herself. So I can, she knows it's God also. She's hearing everything that's going on. There's only a curtain between them. And then Yahweh quotes the words of Sarah to Abraham. To Abraham. Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Sarah's busted. I'm sure that she was hoping, I hope he doesn't draw this curtain. She's right behind him. The question of Yahweh to Abraham is a rhetorical question, and it's a crucial one. Listen to it. He says to Abraham, Is anything too hard for the Lord Yahweh? The idea is of anything being beyond Yahweh's ability and power to perform. It has an obvious answer. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Remember when we studied Jeremiah? In chapter 32, verse 27, Jeremiah's in jail, accused of treason, and God has told Baruch, his nephew, to come in and to draw up a contract to redeem some land as evidence that he's going to bring them back from the captivity. And Jeremiah starts doubting. Oh, Lord, what are you asking me to do all day? We're going to captive. We're never coming back. And he tells Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Identical to this, the only other place. The best of us will go into doubt if we get our eyes too often on the situation. You remove God from the equation, you're dead. The only hope for my life is that I keep my eyes on the Lord and always fit him into the equation. And that I be open not to tell him how to work, but to be open to see how he will work. My disappointment comes often, not only in doubt, but in that he didn't work the way I thought he should. <laughs> so I think he didn't work at all, but he did. Hmm. The proclamation is, at the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. God cannot lie. He's faithful to his promises. God would work according to his own timing. And so the particular person is named again, and Sarah shall have a son. His name would be Isaac Laughter, according to God's prophetic utterance in chapter 17, 19, the laugh of Abraham. The covenant will be made with Isaac, not with Ishmael, Genesis 17, 21, the eternal covenant. And so everybody else would laugh with him. And notice then in verse 15, the confronting by Yahweh of Sarah for her denial. The words of Sarah, but Sarah denied a saint, 
I did not laugh. <laughs> the reason given for Sarah is for she was afraid, and that's all that's said. The accountability of her words are recorded. And he said, meaning Yahweh, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> it is amazing how you and I and all human beings categorically deny something when the evidence is all over them. The little kid who gets some cookies or some cake and, and his mom says, did you eat some of those cookies? Uh-uh, he's got it all over his face. <laughs> you ever see cops? Guy gets pulled over, they open the trunk, trunk full of pot, the guy goes, where'd that come from? That's not mine. <laughs> or they find some coke in his pocket and they go, those are my pants. What do you mean they're not your pants? It's amazing. Hmm. This encounter occurred two to three months from chapter 17. Hmm. When I was laid up in my accident for those four and a half months, my bed was down in the den. This one particular day, I was just um, watching TV. I was just sitting there, and... Um, and it was winter, it was cold, so we kept the fireplace going. And, and Trudy got up to get some wood from the garage. And in just a fraction of a second, a thousand of a second, just something that's just, I, as I saw Trudy, the Lord pulled me back and I just looked at her as she was going out and she came in with the wood. And the Lord just allowed me to understand and to see her as if he would have taken me home and say, this is what would have happened you wouldn't have been around to do all the things that you do for her. Wow. A monument, a pillar. So important for me, that intimate moment with God, to praise him for his mercy and grace, to allow me to remain for a while, realizing that the ministry is so important to me and so vital because God has something else, that I don't want nothing to interrupt it. And that's the reason I just gave up the bikes. No big deal. There's nothing more important than the kingdom of God or the ministry. But that special moment that I never want to forget, and there are many in my life that God has done like that. You, you should mark them, monuments, just between you and God. That you know he loves you and he's in control of your life. Because I should have been dead or quadriplegic. His mercy. Not because of my faithfulness, but because of his mercy and his love. If we make time for the Lord Jesus Christ and spend time with him, he will speak to us very, very personally. Time in the word daily to get the content of the word of God in ours, on our minds and hearts to be familiar with it so the Holy Spirit can stir it up and speak to us. Time in prayer, lifting up our daily needs that we might align ourselves with the will of God, that his will would be done and that we would grow and mature and be guided by him. Time in fellowship in the church, not only to grow and learn and to be used, but to develop relationships that are meaningful and lasting and of great value. You can discern when God speaks to you, and you can acknowledge it or you can reject it. Sometimes people are so set on their own will that they cannot receive what God has spoken to them. They say, no, that's not the Lord. A person's mind is made up so much. Or they're so dependent upon man, they go to pastors, they go to counselors also first before they go to the Lord. First wrestle with you and God. 
That's always first. That's always the first step. See, he will speak to you and me, but he won't force us. It is a choice whether we obey, whether we agree with him. Acts 2.42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. What are some of the things that perhaps you think are hard for God or out of the reach of his ability? Maybe um, an unbelieving husband or wife that you've been praying for years. And keep praying. Keep being that example. Perhaps a child who has... Um, walked away from God and living in open sin, heartbreak for a parent, then continue to pray, continue to be an example, draw those lines, always letting them know you love them, but that they know that you don't approve of the lifestyle. Perhaps um, you've been stricken with some illness, maybe cancer, maybe some sexually transmitted disease, and the doctors have told you can't do nothing for you. Well, the Bible says, you know, call the other of the church and anoint them with oil and lay hands and give God an opportunity to work. Perhaps it's alcohol or drugs and you still cater to that. You keep going around the old neighborhood and the candy man uh, and you refuse to grow up and really depend on the power of God. Or maybe it's something as, as seemingly innocent as overeating. And you, you don't want to discipline yourself. Hmm. We come to God in faith, knowing that he is able, but we also know that he doesn't violate our will. We are co-participants with him. And when he works, he works on our behalf for our good, not for our evil. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those that come to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We all have feet of clay, ladies and gentlemen. We all stand on the same platform, the platform of grace. We all can only take one day at a time. But God help us if we don't learn from that day and press towards the mark. The personal revelation of the birth of Isaac to Abraham was undeniable. And the same with us. When God speaks to us, we can say he didn't, but we can't deny it. Not to God. Hmm. And so the announcement of the birth of Isaac to Abraham was described by the personal visit of God to Abraham, which was at first undetected. The personal hospitality offered by Abraham was unlimited. And the personal revelation of the birth of Isaac to Abraham was undeniable. Every story of the Old Testament and account has a parallel for our application. I don't understand when people say the Old Testament's irrelevant. It's not relevant for today. Oh, it's great. You know why? Because people haven't changed. We're still the same old dogs. And God remains the same. He's holy and he's out for our good. 
Pastor Xavier Reese with a good reminder about the counsel we can find in the Word of God. And you can pick up a copy of today's message, Isaac's Birth, on schedule. It's available on CD for just $4. Now remember, this also includes what was shared the last time we were together. So the title to ask for once again is Isaac's Birth on Schedule. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or call 800-926-1485 to place your order by phone. And to everyone who gets in touch this month with a quick word of how our Simple Truths broadcasts have been ministering in their lives, we're sending a free CD of Pastor Xavier's message, Confidence in Prayer. And we'd appreciate so much to hear your comments, the listeners of this station, just what messages have been especially helpful in your walk with the Lord. So won't you write us today? The address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or you can also contact us at our website, calvarychapelpasadena.com. And when you do, mention you'd like the free message from Pastor Xavier called Confidence in Prayer. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you do contact us. What or who is the focus of our decisions as Christians? Join Pastor Xavier Reese for an intriguing lesson on decision-making. That's right here on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com